All right, good morning. So I'm just going to go ahead and name it. Uh, I decided to grow a West Texas mustache. Uh, I know it's not a uh, Levi Myers stash, or uh, it's certainly not a Matthew Smith stash, uh, but I'm trying. It's because I admire y'all, and I love West Texas. So thank y'all. It's been a, a, about a year we've been here, and we're, we're so glad to be here. Um, also, happy Mother's Day. Um, this is basically a day, you know, when we recognize all the honor uh, that really should be continuously given uh, to mothers throughout the year. So uh, if you're a kid uh, in the congregation, celebrate mom today, and then celebrate her again tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the whole year. Just do it. Um, also, I know while this is a day of celebration, it can also be a hard day for, for a lot of people. Um, it can be a reminder of uh, those you've lost. Uh, it can be a reminder of relationships that have been broken. Um, and so please know that, you know, the Bible calls us as a church to rejoice with those who rejoice and at the same time weep with those who weep. Uh, and so please know we're with you and we love you. So today we're going to be spending some time uh, in Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. So you can go ahead in your bulletins or your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, I don't know if y'all remember growing up, uh, but there was a day that would come about once a year for kids that would really just evoke a lot of excitement. And this day was called Take Your Child to Work Day. Uh, I don't know if they still do that. Maybe they do. Um, but I can remember this day for me. I, I lived in New York City in seventh grade, and it was my turn to get to go to work with my mom. Uh, so instead of me going to school, I actually went with mom, who was a special ed teacher in, in Brooklyn, and I got to go to her school. Uh, and so I got to be a part of my mom's work day. I got to participate in sitting with her students. Uh, in helping them learn. I got to hang out with my mom and her assistant teachers during break time. Uh, I got to actively even participate in like what we were doing that day, in the planning. And I can just remember thinking several things. I, I can remember thinking, man, I can't believe I'm not in school. <laughs> this is awesome. But also I can remember thinking, man, what an honor. My mom chose me to do this. Uh, I got to witness also firsthand the way that she would teach. I got to meet people that I'd only heard her talk about. I got to meet them in person. And ultimately, I can really just remember thinking, man, I am so glad she's my mom. Uh, she's a great teacher. Um, happy Mother's Day, Mom, by the way. I know you're, you're watching, so I, I love you, Mom. Um, now, the reason I bring this up uh, as we study the Great Commission uh, is because I think sometimes we fail to experience the tremendous joy and privilege of what Jesus is actually inviting us into. We live in a culture where it's actually increasingly uh, almost a badge of honor to just be extremely busy. And I think the, the reason for that is because we are so defined by what we do 
how we perform, the work that we do, it gives us what we think it gives us value and it gives us dignity. So we flaunt it. And this actually creeps into the church in several ways. Uh, Either we work and work and work and work to just add to our spiritual resumes. You know, we subtly flaunt, you know, how much we really know, you know, how many books we've read or how many Bible studies we've done or, uh, or even just how much we commit to the church. Um, or the other way it creeps in is we become so burnt out for all the stuff that we feel like we're supposed to be doing that we wallow in shame and dump mounds of guilt upon ourselves for all the missed opportunities, for all the failures that we say or do as self-proclaimed disciples. And so sometimes we actually come to, to Matthew 28 from that place, and we either add to it um, as just another checklist in our box, uh, you know, trying to just become more valuable to God, trying to just become more worthy for God, or we become paralyzed with all the ways we actually just don't accomplish it. And what I want us to do this morning is actually remind you that instead of seeing this passage as just another task for you to accomplish, I want you to instead recognize that God has chosen you for take your child to work day. You aren't his employee. You're his child. And you get the privilege of experiencing your father as he works. And he actually invites you into that. Uh, So let's read Matthew 28. Uh, This is verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are with us. You are with us right now. So we pray that uh, you would um, stir our hearts, shape us, Turn us into disciples. Turn us into people that follow you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So, the late, great NFL football coach, Vince Lombardi, uh, he had this iconic statement he would actually give to his professional NFL players on the beginning of the season, on the first day of practice. And he would say this. He would hold up a football. And he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. That's all he would say. And essentially, here's what he's saying. He's saying, gentlemen, y'all are professionals, so y'all should know the fundamentals. Y'all should know this. Uh, That if they miss the most basic fundamental of what it means to be a football player, 
they miss the whole thing. It's not going to go well for them on Sundays. So the passage at the end of Matthew, this passage, it's the climax of the entire book. And in a way, this is actually Matthew's version of, gentlemen, this is a football. (laughs) Because as part of God's people, we are fundamentally a people on a mission. We are fundamentally a people who are sent. Because we are the people of a missional God. (laughs) Every page of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is about a God who never stops working to pursue you, (laughs) who never stops working to restore you, to redeem you, his people, from the curse of the fall. Uh, It's why we're here. It's why Christ came. It's why we're able to worship, because of a God who made it his mission to move towards you in love. So often we think about a passage like the Great Commission as kind of the beginning of the church's mission, uh, or just kind of another task even, that, you know, it, now, you, now you're supposed to just go do this. Uh, you know, just add it to your Christian life. But what we really need to recognize is, is that these final words of Jesus and Matthew, uh, they give us a commission to join in to the story as a people that God has been writing since the very beginning. What was the promise? given to Abraham in Genesis 12, in you, what? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. This has been God's plan since the beginning. And in Christ, it's fully possible. That with Christ's death and resurrection, it's now fully possible for all people groups to experience what it means to be part of God's family. So, It's interesting, Matthew's account of the resurrection is the shortest of all the gospel accounts. Uh, And it's as if he is saying, this is what you need to know after Jesus has been resurrected. Pay attention to this. Christ is alive. And so hear what this actually means for you. Make sure you know this. And so really, what I want us to do is just look at this this passage and recognize three things. Uh, that this post-resurrection narrative highlights. I want us to see how uh, Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20, it shows us who we are, it shows us who Christ is, and then it shows us Christ's purpose for us. Uh, So let's look at who we are. In this passage, who are the people of this mission? Uh, Well, for one, they aren't some incredibly talented or impressive group of people. Verse 16 says that the 11 disciples went to Galilee where they were directed. The 11 disciples. You know, there may have been other people there, but primarily, you know, Matthew's pointing out Jesus is addressing his audience of these 11 uh, apostles. So now keep in mind, really the only thing that qualified them uh, was that they had been with Jesus that they actually hung out with Jesus for three years. They were fishermen. Uh, One was a despised tax collector working for the Roman occupation. Uh, One was a zealot, uh, someone who was part of a radical tribe of people that were seeking to overthrow the government. (laughs) 
Uh, in other words, they weren't who you and I would probably handpick uh, to start a global movement. They were just men. But they had been with Jesus. Further, verse 17. It's kind of an odd description about him, right? It adds this. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, commentators, they, you know, they have varying ways of kind of interpreting this. And you know, some actually point to the doubting ones as, as those that weren't the, the apostles, weren't the disciples. Uh, but actually, I think the Greek points to it's the disciples who doubted. Some of the disciples. It, the assumption, I think, is, is that those who worshipped, there certainly can't be any doubts, right? You know, Jesus, he wouldn't be giving these commands to a group of people uh, who, who certainly worshipped him but also doubt, right? Right? Is that y'all's experience? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, uh, I told how the Greek, it, you know, it points to the disciples as being the group of power. But in fact, the, the word, it's translated to the Bible as some, it's actually just the definite article in Greek. Uh, which actually points that it could even just read this. They worshipped him, but they also doubted. (laughs) So when you think about this fledgling group of men, young men, witnessing this on the mountain, who had recently experienced the death of their Lord, who see him and they joyfully worship, but they also hesitate, they doubt, I don't know about you, but this actually kind of brings me comfort. That God actually uses people. He actually uses real people for his mission. People who aren't overly talented uh, or charismatic leaders or, or even incredibly strong in their faith at all times but that the people that God would actually use for his mission are like the disciples, simply those who know Jesus. Those who actually Jesus just called to follow him. You know, not not because of who they are in many ways, in spite of who they are. A, A people who worship him, but sometimes doubt. Who are joyful and eager and and excited, but then a people who are Probably at other times apathetic. Maybe troubled. Uh, Maybe people who struggle with depression and anxiety. People who are worried. I don't know if y'all have seen the recent movie on uh, Disney Plus called Encanto. Encanto. Uh, And don't worry, the one thing I'm not going to do is uh, talk about Bruno. Um, Because, you know, we don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. No, no, we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, if you don't understand what I'm saying, just listen to that on the way home, and you're welcome. Uh, but anyways, the main concept of Encanto is this, that there's this family of special people, and they have all these special magical gifts that they're given, uh, but there's one member of the family, Mirabel, who actually doesn't receive a special gift. So really the whole movie... Naturally, she's struggling with all these difficulties uh, and doubts and problems that this creates. Uh, 
uh, both within her, within her, within her family. That's kind of the thrust of the movie. But towards the end of the movie, and I hope this actually doesn't, you know, too big of a spoiler, but the family recognizes that Maribel's gift wasn't some acquired magic or talent. The gift was her. All of her. Every part of her. Which included her doubts. It, it actually included her failures. It included her worries, but it also included her comforting to the family. It included her care. It included her love. Just her. All of those things actually was what the family needed. Her presence. And so, in a way, like Mirabel in, in Kanto, it's not these incredible like talents and gifts or some special magic that these disciples have that makes them the people... It, it, it's them. God chooses them. Like this group of people. And here's why. They had been with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They loved Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? Do you love Jesus? You know, sometimes we think that in order to be a part of God's mission... Uh, We need to have it together. We need to have all the right words to say. You know, we need to have our script. We need to make sure that we figured out every single answer that that person's going to ask us. You know, uh, we need to look good. In other words, we need to be different. We need to be different people. Uh, But notice that what you really need is to know Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you've been walking with Jesus for years. Or maybe you became a Christian this week. But if you call yourself a disciple, then you are a part of his people who are on a mission. And that's good news. All of you, your doubts, your weaknesses, your failures, your stories. What does it say? In your weakness, God's strength is made known. So this actually frees us to just, we are able to be ourselves on mission. (laughs) It's why Paul says that he actually boasts in his weakness. That God actually uses all of us. That God doesn't choose you because you're you're incredibly smart, or you're good looking, or you're nice, or you're funny. No, he he just, he chooses you because he loves you. He loves you. Further, it causes us to kind of take pause a little bit, I think, when we uh, lift up these people that we believe should lead us on this mission. Because we often look to people who we think are just smart or we think are incredibly powerful and influential or we think are are great and funny and uh, great speakers. But here's the main question. Do they know Jesus? Have they walked with Jesus? Do they look like Jesus? Or do they have just these characteristics and skills and gifts that you think are just useful for whatever particular movement you want to get behind? You know, how often do we look to a political leader or a movement or an author from a book? But Jesus gave his command to his disciples. 
11 average to actually below average people. He gave this command to us. Average people doing average things every day. But here's what you may be thinking. Like, okay, isn't that kind of an odd strategy? Uh, To put the greatest news in all of the earth into the hands of seemingly inadequate people, uh, in the hands of weak people who actually have no idea what they're doing. Well, that's actually why it's important we know the Lord of the mission. So who is he? Uh, The key word in this whole passage is the word all. Jesus uses this word four times within his speech. And in verse 18, the very first thing he says, the very first thing he says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, often we go to the, the part after that in Matthew 28. You know, we, we just want to feel like, Jesus, tell us what to do. What do we do, right? Uh, just give us something. But don't miss the first word Jesus says. Don't miss the, the very first thing. So Jesus knows this thing is actually so crucial for the disciples to remember. The repeated theme of Matthew is the kingdom. And in this statement, Jesus is basically saying after his resurrection, you see the world? You're on a mountain right now. Look out and see it. You see it? Did you know every single square inch of that is mine? Did you know that there's actually nothing that exists here? Uh, In this entire universe, in which I don't have authority over, Authority over all things. All of that. All of you. It's mine. Jesus knows that what this group of people need to be grounded in is the understanding of his authority. Why? Because he knows that after this, they're going to be needed to remind themselves of it constantly. Because as they go about on his mission, it's actually going to look like he's not in authority. Because there will be times when it feels just out of control. But he's not. He's not out of control. He's in control. They need to be reminded that he has authority over all the worth. Because there will be days coming when it feels like his kingdom is crumbling. When he's losing. When he's not king. But he is. He is. That's why he stresses it to him. That's why the, that's the first thing he says to them. One person who actually certainly doubts this is, is a man by the name of Richard Dawkins. I know some of you, I'm sure, know. Uh, so he's a, a self-avowed atheist. He's a scientist. He's an author who, who writes emphatically against religion. And one of his main points is that one of the only reasons that people are religious is because they were born into it. You know, so if you're Hindu, it's actually just because you're, you're from India. Uh, or if you're Muslim, it's because you were born in the Middle East. Um, if you're Buddhist, because you were born in Asia. But the reason they believe is actually just because they were born into it and their parents believed it. Um, and I, you know, actually when I'm on campus, sometimes I hear this from students a lot. And, you know, for one, okay, but 
Richard Dawkins, you were born into an Anglican family. <laughs> and you're an atheist. That actually, the, the Western culture, it, it's actually all, all about forsaking your religion of your youth <laughs> and doing your own thing. So, you know, explain that, but we're a little inconsistent. But two, uh, okay, I get what you're saying. You know, I, I get kind of the sociology behind that. But explain to me Christianity. Did y'all know that historically Christianity, it's actually the only religion in the entire world that has spread more through evangelism and outreach than through births? <laughs> Which is why it's never stayed put. It's crossed cultures, it's crossed boundaries, it's crossed races. It started in a small country the size of New Jersey. And it moved to Syria, and then it moved to Samaria, and then it moved to Ethiopia, and then it moved to Egypt, and then it moved to Rome, and then it moved to Greece, and then Asia, and then India, and then the entire West, and then the European countries, and then the Americas. Why? Because Christ is over all of it. He has authority over all of it. <laughs> That's why. The evidence is right there. It's not tied to just one culture or people group. He has all authority. It's why this is interesting. In the 1940s, the most common person in the world that identified as a Christian was a uh, middle-aged white male in the southern parts of the United States. Today, the most common person in the world that identifies as a Christian is a 25-year-old black man in the southern parts of Africa. We don't even realize that. Why? Because Christ has authority over all. He's over all of it. Over the whole world. He's moving. You know, I need to hear this. I need to hear this today because so much of what I see in ministry often creates just immense doubt in me. You know, about the authority of Jesus. I, I talk to students on campus about Jesus and I just get met with blank stares. You know, or at worst, I get met with humiliating snide remarks. <laughs> you know, I look around the church and the world, and it really, even the church in America in particular, and sometimes it seems, it seems like Jesus isn't on the throne. And I'm tempted out of fear to try to give him authority, you know, create it for him, or manipulate things, or, you know, get discouraged or fearful, or use other methods because, you know, that's what he really needs, right? He really, he really needs me. He's got authority. You think he needs me to give him authority? <laughs> also, basically he's saying, when you suffer, remember, I've got authority. You know, when you awkwardly um, attempt to have an RUF event that only like two or three students come to... <laughs> Remember, I've got authority, Davis. When, when you awkwardly try to engage your neighbor next door and you stumble through some kind of speech on how, how to you know, join me in church or whatever it is and you get everything wrong and you feel like you messed up and you failed, remember, Jesus has authority. And so if he's the king, what does that mean? How do, what do we do? What do we do as disciples? If he has all authority, what does that actually mean for us? What's his purpose for us? 
Um, Well, simply put, it's to make disciples. I mentioned earlier that in the Great Commission, it's not the beginning of the mission, uh, but rather God's inviting us and enabling us to join into what he's been doing since the beginning. And what happened at the beginning? God gives Adam and Eve a command. What does he say? Go. Multiply. Fill the earth. Spread my kingdom everywhere. Let all the earth be full of my glory. Go, do it. But of course, you know, we know what happens, right? The fall. It ruins everything. And so God chooses to to have a particular group of people uh, to be a contrast people. That when the world would look at them, when they would see them, uh, they would see what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. You know, they were to be a people that the nations would come to and look at and interact with, and they would see the glory of God. They would see God. This was the missional strategy of the Old Testament. You know, come to Israel. Come here. Come see who he is. Come see his glory. Well, now we have this other command. But this command actually resembles more of what happened in the garden. What does this command say? You know, in the garden, he said, go, multiply, be fruitful, fill the earth. And what does Jesus say? You go, make disciples of all nations. Jesus is renewing our original calling. He renews it. He restores us. We get to experience our original purpose again in Jesus. The church, this contrast community, is now called not for the nations to come to them, but for the church to move towards the nations. The gates of hell will not prevail. Now, it's important to know that the only imperative verb in this, uh, in this passage, is is actually make disciples. That's That's the imperative. That's the main command. Make disciples. This is not to say that those other verbs are not important. You know, go, baptize, teach. They are important. They are. But what those other verbs do is they give us the way we go about making disciples. They give us the substance. So how do we make disciples? Well, going is a part of that. You got to move. <laughs> you got to move around. You know, uh, baptizing is a part of that. People got to be a part of your community. Teaching is certainly a part of that. Now, the reason this is actually really important is because I think often what we do is we regulate going to the 1% of our churches who actually just become uh, international missionaries. Praise God for them. But what we really need to realize is that going essentially means moving toward the other to make disciples. We are people who move towards strangers. We are a a people who move uh, towards those who actually may have hurt us. Who move towards those who are against us, our enemies. Who move towards those who are hostile because of Jesus. Have you ever been hurt by your wife? or hurt by your husband, go towards her in love. Have you ever had the urge to avoid someone who you felt like represents everything you disagree with? Or you've been in conflict with a particular person 
move towards them in love. (laughs) Go towards them. Going, it's so much more than just moving overseas. It's so much more than just doing street evangelism. Not to say that that's not important. Again, praise God. But making disciples, it's more than just handing out a gospel tract. It's moving toward the other. But also, what do we do when we move toward them? Well, we baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so essentially what this means is we baptize them into this new community. We commit them to the church. We commit them to this community. We bring them into the family. They're our family. All of the families, right? All of the families on earth. That means they get all the family's rights. They get all the family's privileges. The promises are for them. We baptize them. And further teaching them all that I've commanded. Which can also be translated, teaching them every single last thing. So in other words, look in your Bibles and actually just go to the parts that aren't underlined. Jesus means that too. Even those things. Which actually makes making disciples a lifelong task. It means it never ends. You know, uh, the Great Commission, it's not just telling us to convert people and leave them. It's actually committing us to people for a lifetime. This, this past weekend, Dr. Gibbs, uh, the president of Covenant Seminary, spoke at Presbytery. And he, he said this. He said, are you willing to create room for a new best friend today? Ask yourself that every single day. Make room for people. Give up your time, give up your resources, give up your energy. To who? All nations. All nations. By nations, people groups. All people groups. All. What type of person do you actually ignore? You know, what type of person do you avoid? Or you don't really know how to talk to them because you, you know, you don't, you don't know how to relate. Or you don't have a lot in common. Jesus means them. Jesus means the person you live next door to with a Biden sticker. Jesus means the atheist coworker that promotes an LGBTQ agenda and potentially could be pro-choice. Jesus means them. Move towards them and make disciples. He means all people. That's who we are. That's what we do. So as I close, I understand this is costly. This is challenging. Uh, You know, this is frankly scandalous. It's actually foolishness to the world. You know, Ronnie preached on that a couple weeks ago. It's offensive. It is offensive. If you're offended right now, that's, that's the reason. It's offensive. Which is why the final words of Jesus are this. Don't miss this. Behold, I, I am with you to the very end. Behold. What's he saying? Pay attention. Pay, pay close attention. Behold.
Pay attention to this. I. It actually in the Greek it says I, I. I, I. He's repeating it. He's saying, pay attention. I, I. I am with you. I am with you always. The very opening of Matthew tells a story of Jesus' birth, and he calls his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the final words of Matthew, Jesus says, I am with you. God with us is how it opens. And the end is, I am with you. The entire Bible is about a God who dwells and is present with his people. So much so that Jesus says, you know, when they hurt you, they're hurting me. When they persecute you, they are persecuting me. When they kill you, they're killing me. Know that I am with you to the very end. I haven't left you. But by my death and resurrection, I actually have made it possible to dwell within you. Even more. Even with my spirit. I am with you. A couple weeks ago, Val and I, we, we came to the service up here, for the service day up here. Um, we brought our kids. And uh, on this day, I got tasked with sweeping up the, uh, the courtyard or raking up the leaves outside of the fellowship hall in the courtyard. And, and so I walk out there and I grab a rake and when my three-year-old son, um, you know, he comes up and he says, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, when I'm raking, uh, do, you want, do you want to join? And he said, yeah. And so I gave him a rake, and, uh, which he didn't know how to use. <laughs> And he essentially, you know, he started going to the piles of leaves that I just raked up, and, and he just started raking them and actually moving them back in the place that they originally were. <laughs> he undid everything. <laughs> and he said, look, Daddy, I'm raking. And I said, I know, buddy, I love you. And in that moment, it actually, it wasn't about my son and what he was doing. I was just glad he was there with me. I wanted him with me because he's my boy. I wanted him with me because I just love him. Understand that Jesus, he reminds us that he's with us. Not because he's your employer, overseeing his employees, making sure, you know, that we we don't cost the company time. You know, he's not a coach. Making sure that you're just performing everything good, performing everything rightly. You know, here's how you improve. Here's how you do it. No, Jesus is with you because he loves you. He loves you. That's why. That's why. That's why he calls you to join him. Join in with him to make disciples. Not because he needs you. Don't don't be too full of yourself. It's not because he relies on you. He's got all authority. It's because he wants you. Jesus actually wants you. And he wants you. 
because he loves you. He is with you to the very end of this age. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for uh, just this time to, um, to just reflect on who you are. Reflect on what you've done. And reflect on just the immense joy uh, that it means to be your disciple. To actually be part of your family. To do what the family does. Uh, and to just be present with our Father. Uh, to just get to experience him. So we thank you, God. We thank you. Um, for this church, for everyone here. I pray that you will just continue to work in us and move us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.